This morning, we're going to continue our series, as James said, doing the Christian life together, and we're talking about God and work. And if you don't mind, would you turn with me in your Bibles again to Genesis chapter 2, and I want to begin reading verses 7 and 8 and then jump down to verse 15, a short passage to read together. The chapter 2 of the book of Genesis, beginning in verse 7. If you don't mind, would you stand with me as we read this passage together? Moses, who of course is the author of these first five books of the Old Testament, why we call them the books of Moses, begins in verse 7 by saying, The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And if you don't mind jumping down to verse 15, it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Let's begin with prayer. Father, I ask as we enter into this conversation, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be conversant with us. We really desire, Lord, to not only know what your word says, but we most desire that your Holy Spirit would help us understand your word as it applies to us right now today. We need your help, Lord. Uh, we need the wisdom that comes from above. We don't need more human advice. Lord, we pray for revelation by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> You ever heard the term generation gap? Mm-hmm, yeah. Actually, it, it was a term that didn't really exist until we had the quote-unquote baby boomer generation come along, and there was suddenly a realization on the part of our parents that the kids that they were raising seemed to have come from a different planet. Uh, there was almost like they spoke a different language, they, uh, they had different tastes and different likes. And, and since that time, given the fact that baby boomer generation is a generation literally that's obsessed with statistical research, because, you know, there's, as Mark Twain once said, there are two kinds of lies. There's just plain lies and then there's statistics. And so we're a generation that's spent a lot of time analyzing and measuring, and we've come up with a whole sociological field about generational studies and there's a lot of validity to it. We begin to discover that each generation that comes along has a vastly different life experience because even though we may be all in the same country, we go through a different dynamic and uh, things change economically, socially, uh, militarily, as far as our place in the world and all the rest. All those things are experiences that help to dispose us to see the world around us in a way that sometimes is vastly different from those who came before us and those who will come after us. Uh, let me illustrate a couple of examples. First of all, when we talk about the, the, uh, the, how we approach the issue of work, uh, there is a huge difference in how this takes place. And some of you who are older, you might fit into this category called the traditionalists. Uh, traditionalists are people generally born uh, after 1900 and, uh, and, and between 1900 and 1946. Seems like a very long period of time, but 
there was a set of experiences that kind of shaped and molded people who grew up during that era. I mean, we all know they went through two major world wars. Uh, they went through the Great Recession. And then on the heels of that, they entered into, after World War II, the, the greatest time of material prosperity and power that the United States has ever experienced. All that had a major shaping upon them, and yet as we look at how they approach life, there are two things that really concern that generation. First of all is survival. Uh, they realize that the world can be an incredibly unsafe place. They know what it's like to be in want, to be hunger, to really not have opportunities, and so they, they realize that this is not something you can take for granted. They live in a dangerous world, and we always need to be prepared for the dangers that might come. And so as a generation, these are people who saved their money. They budgeted their money extremely frugal. I remember once hanging sheetrock with my father-in-law, and he's stopping every once in a while to pick up sheetrock nails off the floor. And I simply said, don't worry about it. They're really inexpensive. I can buy lots of them. He says, yes, but during the Depression, we had wood. We didn't have nails. And that so shaped his mind. He says, I was almost fired from a job as a carpenter because I kept on picking up nails. And the guy said, I'm paying you $30 an hour to drive nails, not to pick them up off the ground. And so he said, I, just, I, I couldn't stop myself. I couldn't just leave it there. So you'd find this generation, they see even today a penny on the sidewalk. They're going to stop and pick it up. Me, I'm going to look at it and think, is it worth the back pain? Mm, not for a penny. And then, you know, even though now it's worth two cents. But nonetheless, it's a very, very different way of looking at things. And that's why they are marked by this desire for a world that's safe. Even the militarism of, of the last century in America is all about not conquering other places, but rather making sure that we are safe from attack, because for them it's not theoretical. It's something that they know is very, very real. And that's why I think Neville Chamberlain really kind of summarized the, the, the thinking of that generation when he said to the British Parliament, we'll have peace in our time, which in his time lasted about 20 minutes, but nonetheless... It's this desire that we could have peace, that we could have safety, we could have security because of that life experience. Now, my generation, the baby boom generation, from 1946 to 1964, if you were born in that time frame, you came into a vastly different world. You came into a nation that was prosperous beyond anybody's expectation. We were able to achieve things. I mean, after all, we put a man on the moon and, and we had created a, a military complex beyond anybody's imagination. We had an economic engine. Because after World War II, 50% of the world's manufacturing disappeared. So that the United States was producing 50% of the manufactured goods and sending them all over the world. And suddenly, everything in America became good and, and prosperous. And it was a very exciting time to grow up. Suddenly, the population had shifted from this rural population where, you know, three-fourths of Americans lived in the rural areas to suddenly two-thirds of Americans lived in cities. And that changed everything. And part of the break between our parents and us was that our parents didn't understand. They were part of a generation where only about 25% even had a high school graduation. Only 5% of the population ever gone to college. And suddenly, we were a generation where college was open to everyone. I remember my tuition at the University of California in Berkeley was $164 a quarter. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's close to that now, isn't it? 
now it's $164 per minute. But, but it was just, it was a different world. It was an open door. There were just opportunities, and we were very optimistic. We believed in, in, in things, and we were very idealistic. We were obsessed with things being fair and equal, and we had to compete hard because there were so many of us that there weren't as many positions available, so we worked hard. It's ironic because in some ways the baby boom generation was one of the hardest working generations we've seen in our history because they were driven to be successful. They were concerned with two things. One was being successful and the other one was being significant. We wanted to really reach the goal. We were the first to believe that we could conquer the world, that there was nothing impossible, that good old American know-how would take care of it because we had a technological advantage and a machinery that was producing things. I mean, we had so many amazing things like saran wrap. I mean, we had things, Ziploc bags. We, we had things that were going to change the world. We came up with Teflon and all those and all the politicians who have been coded in it ever since. Um, but then there came my older kids' generation. If you're born between 65 and 1980, you had a series of different experiences. There was the dot-com crash, the 9-11, what we call even the Great Recession that many of them had experienced. And they, even though they were learning all sorts of new technologies, they had something else that shaped them, not only a level of financial instability and uncertainty, there was also the dynamic of, um, of broken families. They were the first generation, had more kids growing up in a single-parent home than ever before, and that dramatically altered the relationship between parent and child and the passing on of information from adults to children suddenly began to be broken down, and they became a generation that looked to really whoever was the most authoritative. They became a very skeptical generation. They no longer took authority for certain. They realized because of the internet that you could find somebody who knew a lot more about whatever you were wanting to have information on than your parents or teachers or anybody else. The experts were right there online. And suddenly Google became a verb. And, but they were also a generation, because of their experience with a financial upheaval that the nation had gone through, really craved for financial stability, but not based upon a company or a business. They realized you couldn't trust the company. You couldn't trust the corporation. You had to do it. You put your money in WorldCom, and WorldCom goes away. You put your money in Enron, Enron goes away, and they realized there has to be a different approach. And so they tend to be much more skeptical and don't take promises lightly or easily. And then you have, last of all, what we call the millennials, born after 1981. This is the first generation that not only knows how to use technology, they grew up with technology. And they went through this very biological shift that they had a left hand, a right hand, and a smartphone, all connected to their bodies. So that today it's not common, uncommon to see a family sitting in a circle, it can be even the dining room table, and everybody is on their smartphone communicating, and it just drives the other generations absolutely nuts because they think that's rude and disrespectful. But see, we understand the value of them. I mean, if you can't figure out how something works, who are you going to call? They ain't going to be ghostbusters. It isn't going to be a traditionalist, probably not a boomer, uh, possibly an Xer. But we know this, 
that every millennial knows how to work every technological de device in your house better than you do. I mean, it's pretty scary to me when my seven-year-old granddaughter says, here, give that to me, I know how it works. <laughs> I remember walking to the bathroom the other day on the plane home, and I look over, and here's a mom with two kids, and the two kids each have iPads, and they're just going crazy, you know, doing all this stuff and calling it. And I thought to myself, how did they learn to do that? And it's just genetics. <laughs> you know? But what we tend to do is we tend to look at these different generations because millennials are very savvy and they're very selective. So when it com comes to finding a job or talking about work, a traditionalist says, I'm going to find a good job that pays well and guarantees me good re retirement and security, and I'm going to work for that one job loyally my entire life. There's the goal. Who can I work for? A baby boomer says, well, I'm... <laughs> I'm loyal to the one I'm with at this moment, but if somebody can offer me more advancement and better pay and take my career farther, then I will shift jobs and I will go from place to place in order to have that upward mobility. If you're the Generation X, basically you're going to say, you know, I'm more leaning toward being entrepreneurial because I can't rely upon corporations. I can't rely upon business. I have to make it my own, so I have to have some skills that are going to let me operate independently, and really I'd rather contract my services than be obligated to one corporation. And then you have the millennials. The millennials drive some of us really crazy, unfairly, I think, because they're really sharp, they're really deceptive, they don't take anything on face value, they have been lied to by marketers so much that they